This is 4L with Ryan O'Neill and Rebecca DeCosta. The Zoom app is asking me for consent. That's where we are in 2021. You know what? That's not probably a bad idea. Right? Hi, Ryan. Do you consent to participating in this podcast today? Well, I guess it's asking me if I consent to be recorded, which I, that seems fair. Sure. Right? I wonder what happens if we have litigants who get asked that and then just say, nope, I do not want to be recorded. Well, I do kind of wonder if maybe that's the reason for, in some meetings or hearings, why people's audio and video suddenly stops and starts again. I wonder if they, hmm. like, I don't know. I, I have yeah. no idea. Anyway, we're off to a great start. We're <laughs> For the three people that are still listening, welcome. <laughs> for my parents and one other person in Topeka, Kansas. Yeah. I have, I'm not even telling my mother that about this podcast, so you're ahead of me. Well, I mean, I, my parents found out through third parties, but <laughs> they have no idea how to download and listen to a podcast, so I'm pretty safe. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Same boat. Um, what do you want to talk about this week? Well, so I had forwarded you a news story that I think is only a news story um, about a book release because of the folks who wrote the introduction and the foreword. Okay. I mean, you, you, you got the folks that wrote the introduction and the foreword to this book are pretty heavy hitters compared to the actual author. hundred <laughs> percent. So the, yeah, that, I mean, there's no question. So the, it would be like me that, writing a book with an introduction by, you know, George W. Bush and Barack Obama. You'd be like, wow, those are like really like, how did this guy get those folks to write these intros? And then like, oh, it's just an FOC referee and attorney who wrote a book. That's weird. Well, and it would be equivalent if it were you with those introductions and then you read it and figured out that you had zero writing talent because yeah. that's what's which probably Which is probably what would happen. <laughs> False. <Probably. laughs> You're just insecure about your writing ability. That's true. Um, so the book that was released on June 29th um, is called The Respondent, A True Story. And the author is Greg Ellis, who, according to Greg Ellis, and I have no verification whether or not this is true, you probably IMDB'd him, but apparently he was in the Pirates of the Caribbean or Caribbean movies. Yeah. And like a maybe a Star Trek or something. I'm not sure. I, the Google has absolutely died on my MacBook, which needs to be replaced. But the, I do remember him. Anyway, a B-list actor. Yeah, B-list actor. He wasn't like anybody memorable in any of the Pirate of the Caribbean movies that he appeared in. Right. So, but here's the crux. The subtitle of the book is called Exposing the Cartel of Family Law. Oh, we're a cartel now. I know. Um, and the introduction is written by Johnny Depp, who's had a fairly well-publicized, scandalous divorce. And the foreword is by Alec Baldwin, who had a fairly public, scandalized custody dispute involving yep. his daughter with Kim Basinger. Um, so, well, Alec Baldwin has had a number of, uh, let's say, public meltdowns. 
Well, I think the most famous one that involved his kid, and it was during, I think, the, well, I think the custody stuff was ongoing over a period of years, was where he left her a voicemail where he was clearly angry and upset, called her some pretty unfortunate names, um, and it was not a good look. No. Was that the one where, did he call her a pig? Called her a little pig. Little pig, that's right. And he wasn't affectionate, like little pig, little pig. It was, it was, he was no. angry. No, he was, he was, but I mean, he's got some pretty well-documented anger issues. Like, dude is not a picture of stability. Right. So anyway, this, the book and the, I could not find a re, like a real review anywhere. Um, I did find some descriptions and the descriptions are like, make it sound like he is a completely at once a completely innocent party who got caught up in this very allegedly corrupt terrible horrible system that only seeks to essentially gin up cases and conflict in order to make more money um but on the other hand he's sort of like well and i had my own recovery issues right well wait, are you sweeping that under that rug behind you just a little bit? Because those things seem like they might be, your experience in, in family court seems like it might be connected to your recovery issues. And then I am sad to say that I did download it just because it's super cheap to download it on Kindle. Um, and I've read about 10% of it. And so far... The, the beginning of the book is him, is not family court necessarily. It's um, Department of Family Services in California showing up at his door for a wellness check of his kids while he's home alone with them. And then they end up taking him into a psych hold and then transferring him to a psychiatric hospital. So it seems to me right off the top that maybe the family law system wasn't the impetus for all of his troubles. But I, I admittedly, I'm only 10% of the way through it. Yeah. So I, your full disclosure, first off, I actually DM'd this guy on Twitter and said, Hey, we run a, po- a legal podcast. We'd love to read your book. Um, if you want to send me a copy of it, because I was not interested in paying for this guy's book after I saw number one, a trailer, like a movie trailer for a book, which seemed very odd, particularly given the genre. Like this was sort of like a, it's, it, it, well, first off, it holds itself out as being sort of like this expose on the family court system. Although right. it seems to be written from the viewpoint of one person and the entirety of, of the story is based upon his own individual journey. Uh, with forewords by two people who have also had documented uh, difficulties. Um, instead of being anything based upon like any research or, I mean, I don't know. If, if, if I was reading that book and I was, you know, reading it by somebody who had been a family law practitioner for 40 years, I think I might find more credibility there than I would on this one person. Well, right. The the thing that struck me when I was reading the overview of the book, which is clearly something written by the the publisher, um, and it starts like spewing these statistics, like 
men who go through divorce are eight times more likely to commit suicide than women go through divorce. Okay, but what are the statistics in the population at large? I believe the statistics in the population at large are that men are more likely to commit suicide whether or not they've been through a divorce. So like correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation. And like, I don't remember who it was who said there are three kinds of statistics, right? Statistics, lies, and damn lies or something like that. But it, it seems to me like he's lining up, even just in the overview of the book, a lot of facts, and I use that term very loosely because I don't know that they aren't all necessarily facts, that to prove his point where they don't necessarily prove his point. Yes. And I think you're right. It's anecdotal. Like I had a horrible, crappy experience in family court. I'm very angry about it. And I wrote a book about it. He says that in the book. Like I had a terrible experience. It's so bad that I wrote a book about it. Well, and, yeah. And I don't know that the offers were lining up for Pirates of the Caribbean 6 or wherever they're at on that franchise. Well, like if in the first 10% of the book, you're getting committed and your wife who was out of town when all this went down, her first telephone call to you is, are you taking your medication? That sounds to me like maybe there were some pre-existing issues that were sort of put in the light as you go through the family court system and maybe you're not taking total ownership of that. I don't know. But that doesn't sell books. That doesn't sell media in 2021 because whether you're a news agency or whether you're a book publisher or a newspaper editor, right? The, the name of the game nowadays is tribalism. It's how do we put people on one side of an issue and make it a them versus the system or a them versus another them. Like that's, that's where we are in 2021, right? Rather than, rather than sitting there and saying like, Hey, you know, I had some issues. Um, and you know, maybe I wasn't in the best mental state where being a full-time dad at the time was what was best for my kids. Like you start writing the book that way. Like, you know, the publisher's probably like, dude, no one's reading this. Yeah. Snore. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing too is, is like, why not? I mean, like, let's sensationalize it too. And also if I had a, and I think we talked about this last podcast, if I had a bad experience, then it must be the fault of the system or a different person or something outside of my control. It can't possibly be because of actual facts. It must be corruption within a particular system or person. Right. Right. So like sometimes bad things just happen and sometimes bad things happen to bad people and sometimes bad things happen to good people. But yes. The, the, the system isn't perfect. I don't think anybody who's worked inside the system would tell you that the system is perfect. I don't think the people who created the system would tell you that the system is perfect, right? I think we know that there's going to be, there's going to be issues. And like you said, there are bad things that happen to good people, even as a result of going through and doing what you're supposed to, right? The idea is that the that's more of the exception and not the rule. And I think my issue was, and again, I didn't, I wouldn't buy the book. I did reach out to the guy. I mean, if the, you know, he can come on here. I know he's busy giving interviews to OAN and the Epoch News, which is how I gleaned what this book was about. <laughs> um, 
and again, it was a lot of the same thing where, you know, the, the video titles were, you know, oh, the system is, is designed to, to benefit attorney billings. And I'm going, oh, that's interesting. I want to hear what he has to say about that. And then there was nothing about attorney billings at all in right. what the question or his response was. So I, right off the bat, got a really bad feeling of what he's doing is using clever clickbait you know, headlines and titles and tweets in order to entice people to read a book that I don't, like you said, I think my conclusion, my guess is by the time you finish the book, the conclusion you're going to reach is this is a guy who had some, some difficulties with the systems more or less due to some issues that he had personally. And this book was sort of his way to, I don't want to say rewrite history or be revisionist about it, but you know, it, well, it's definitely his lens. Like, oh, yeah. And it's like, I mean, it might be a fisheye lens, so things might be a little distorted and out of proportion. And I think that's like your experience that you have going through family court might be influenced by an attorney who maybe is more interested in litigating than solving problems. And we've talked about that on this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. And we all recognize that there are attorneys who are more prone to do that and attorneys who are more problem solvers and less prone to do that. But I don't think it's system-wide and it's certainly not a cartel, which is like, mm -hmm. (laughs) again, it's, 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 it's those buzzwords. It's the stuff that creates tribalism. By the way, interestingly enough, you know, the story is called the respondent and, and from the portions that I read, he goes to great lengths to talk about, you know, the idea of being referred to as a respondent. And I thought, well, first off, Jack, um, not every state uses the phrase, you know, petitioner and respondent. Right. Um, for example, in Michigan, where you and I are hanging this week um, and every week, you know, we use plaintiff and defendant. And, and by the way, there have been calls amongst lawyers who practice matrimonial law to change even that. And I think that's actually something I've, I would be on board with and support is instead of it being, you know, um, say you and I were married, like Rebecca DeCoster versus Ryan O'Neill. It's, you know, in the matter of the DeCoster O'Neill family. Right, because now we're not pitting people against one another. It's more of, you know, we have a case, we have a family, and we've got to sort some things out. But right. not everyone's a respondent in this country. Some right. people are plaintiffs, some people are defendants. And I don't know if he would have an issue with that verbiage, but I'm just, I, I, to me, it, it's. Oh, screamed. he'd 100% have issue with that verbiage, even though it's meaningless. And yes. everybody who does work in family court understands that it's meaningless with the small exception of maybe getting a status quo order or a restraining order. Like that's it. It doesn't, it means someone beat someone to the courthouse or they agreed like you want out of this thing, go ahead and file. Like, right. You know, uh, but, and, but I appreciate you making me the plaintiff in our, um, fictional divorce. I appreciate that. Um, so I can get the status quo order and the restraining order. Well, I know you want that spousal support since we're equal earners. <laughs> but so here's the other thing that this whole impending discussion made me do, which is I pulled out a present that I bought for myself that I'm going to share with you. So I bought these cards that are called critical thinking cards, and they have 24 logical fallacies and 24 cognitive biases, each on a card. Hmm. 
Hmm. So isn't that the fun, most fun card game? Um, and I, I picked out two, just two that in, are in the first 10% of this book. Um, and so there are cards that for fallacies and cards for bi- bias. Um, and one of the cards is a belief bias, which is if a conclusion supports your existing beliefs, you'll rationalize anything that supports it, which seems to me like what's happening in this book times 10. Like, right. well, this bad thing happened to me and I believe the family court system is corrupt. So the fact that that happened to me supports my pre-existing belief that the system's corrupt. Right. Um, And then the fallacy was false cause, which is presuming that a real or perceived relationship between things means that one is the cause of the other. So because I got an enormous attorney fee bill from this whole thing means that my poor experience was caused by attorney fees or the pursuit of attorney fees or whatever. Right. (sighs) Which again, in some cases, and maybe it was his, there is truth to that. Yeah. Right. There are, and by the way, that's not exclusive to family law. Like there's, you know, you can, you can draw that line to pretty much any area of the law where, you know, somebody retains counsel who sees deep pockets and they're more interested in generating billings than they are actually doing problem solving. Okay. Right. Well, and spoiler alert on this book, the opening act is the cops showing up at his door for a wellness check of his kids. It wasn't like the family court judge or a divorce attorney who showed up on his doorstep and started this ball rolling. But is, is, his, is his argument or his premise that that action alone is what set, the, set sort of everything in motion to putting him on the defensive and painting him in a bad light? Yeah, I think it probably is. But I, Oh, had, had, the, had the police never come and a wellness check never been conducted and that never found its way into, you know, a motion or a complaint? Well, and I wouldn't have been put in a psychiatric hospital. Right. He got put in a psychiatric hospital before anything was filed. Right. So, and then he, where I am in the book, and I don't know that I'm going to go any further because his writing's terrible as well. Um, <laughs> in my opinion, in my opinion, um, his opinion is terrible, or his writing is terrible. His opinion um, is terrible, and his writing is terrible. <laughs> but everything his about wife, his, everything about this thing is terrible. His wife shows up at the psych hospital with her mother and in his perspective, slides a piece of paper across the table to him with a pen and says, write down all of the passwords to our accounts right now, which maybe like, I'm not far enough to figure out whether or not he's saying she started this whole ball rolling in a nefarious attempt to gain advantage in a future divorce litigation or an almost pending divorce litigation. Or if maybe she found something out about what he was up to where she got so angry. But what accounts was she specifically targeting? It doesn't say. It just says all. Okay. Because I mean... It's financial. I think largely financial. Which I think like you've been doing something with the money that maybe she's concerned that, or your behavior maybe indicates that something's going wrong with the money. And oh, by the way, 
there tends to be a presumption under the law that married people have equal access to their financial information. Right. The fact that she didn't have the passwords or the right. sign information is a, an issue. Right. If it takes you being admitted into a psychiatric hospital for your spouse to gain a perceived advantage to be able to ask you for that information, that's more of a red flag to me than the fact that she slid you the paper and asked for the passwords. Right. And, and she so probably should have had that all along. Right. And so far, what he, the p- picture he's painting is I was living this idyllic existence and everything was great. And then this happened. Well, dude. Maybe it was for you, but it might not have been for her. Right. Or it might not have been for your kids. Or there might be red flags that you weren't seeing. because I, Right. Perspective is everything. Yeah. I mean, that to me is always a big red flag. It, it, not just in, in his case, but in any case where a spouse comes in and says, I haven't had access to the credit cards, you know, for years. I don't have access to the bank accounts. Um, you know, I don't get to see pay stubs. You know, so you got people that are signing tax returns without really knowing the true, you know, income of the family. You've got people who have arguably a debt picture that's going to be unknown. And and that is a big red flag, right? Because I think if you were to ask most people who were in happy, trusting marriages, they'd say, yeah, we, you know, I know what the, you know, credit card account password is. Right. Or they, I mean, maybe in their world, like, you know, everybody has their separate stuff and that's just the way they've agreed to set it up, but nobody's keeping a secret. I mean, that's the question. Right. 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 So it sounds as though you, in your, in your reading of it, and I give you credit for buying, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I just, well, I really, I felt morally conflicted about it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm going to give this guy his seven or 10 bucks, which by the way is what I think he wants with a lot. Like I said, I think to me, the stuff that he has put out on social media has been very clickbaity. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you how awful and terrible this system is. Um, Without really telling you anything about the system? Right, without telling you anything about it. I, I, I didn't see any contributions from, again, any, you know, lawyers, former or retired judges. Like, I, you know, I would find, again, that to be more credible if you had somebody who was inside that system, you know, saying, yeah, these are the issues. These are the things that I've seen. Right, and he may get to that. I don't know yet. But I would think no. that would be part of the sales pitch which is, you know, I had Judge John Doe, who was a family court judge for years, and I interviewed them as part of my preparation of this book, and they agree with my points A through F. You know what I mean? Well, and they also weren't the forwards, which I also understand, because if you want to sell a book and you want to get people interested, Judge John Doe, you know, writing the forward probably doesn't carry as much huh as Alec Baldwin or you know, John poor man's Willy Wonka. Well, <laughs> and Gene Wilder, who just, I think that original Willy Wonka just turned 50. The movie is 50. It did. Yeah. It did. Yeah. Um, and they never should have made a second one or a oh, remake. He was so creepy in that. It was, yeah. It was, you know, I'm trying to think of a movie that he did that it was like, we're just going to sort of do a copy paste with, with, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. 
Well, it was almost Edward Scissorhands-esque adjacent. You know what yeah. I mean? Very odd. I mean, you can only do so many movies with Tim Burton until they start to sort of recycle and look a little bit the same. And I, that's exactly what happened with, with that remake. Yeah, and I like Tim Burton. I think some of his stuff is brilliant. Certainly not all brilliant, but some of it more brilliant than others. But yes. anyway. No, absolutely. But it, that movie was one that somebody greenlit and they should have been like, no, we're not. I'm amazed how much it still gets played like in syndication or like on, you know, uh, Freeform or one of those channels. Probably cheap. Well, because, you know, and I'm like, the original is one where if it's on, I will stop and watch like either the rest of it or I will watch a chunk of it. Because it's it just to me is one of those great movies. Yeah. Which I was reading when you brought that up, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but when it, the original came out, it was basically like panned, like critically. People were like, this movie's terrible. And I've always said like, that movie is the master class for wit and sarcasm. <laughs> I mean, just like, you know, they have those master class series now. Like you don't need one for wit and sarcasm. You can just watch Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka. And that's the master class. Yeah. Well, and just some of the visuals are, and of course they copycatted them when in the remake, but that visual of all of his grandparents in the same, and by the way, originally written by Dahl, right? Oh, no. yeah. So I, it's not like it was an original idea with the people who made the first movie. Like no. his books are, um, as a kid, like those books are so visual and amazing. Yep. James and the Giant Peach, like they tried to make that. You can't make that fun back for so you because i know you are getting you got into them last year during the pandemic but he wrote the screenplay for you only live twice what yeah roll down really yeah we're also now down to like exactly one listener at this point <laughs> you could say whatever you want no one will ever know what we said <laughs> we can just start Open talking trash about anybody right <laughs> Let me tell you what I think about Schmacy, and it's free game. She'll never know. She's tuned out. <laughs> what, um, there was something else you wanted to talk about today, but I can't remember what it was because I'm old and forget everything. Was there, I don't know. I think we've covered a lot of ground. We should just put a You want to wrap it up? Yeah. To the one person still listening, thanks for hanging in there. <laughs> We'll send you a check. We should do something like a, we should do something like we're going to give you a, a, a code word. And if you've made it this far, type the code word into, type the code word on our Facebook page so we know you made it. <laughs> what is it? What, it'll be like a safe word, but it'll be a code word, code word. What could today's code word be? Let's make today's code word Wonka. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. If you've made it this far. Type the code word onto our Facebook page. And then know, maybe we'll start doing giveaways at some point. We'll no, start. then we'll give you a shout out on the next podcast. There you go. There for, you the, go. for the three people who tune into the next one. That's, everyone who types in Wonka in the comments on our Facebook page will get a shout out at the next podcast. On the Perfect. Next podcast. We're doing it. Wonka. Perfect. Bye, DeCoster. Right, Bye. <laughs>